This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, and welcome to this month's Bright Focus Chat. I'm Diana Campbell with Bright Focus Foundation. I want to give you a warm welcome to today's chat, Living Your Best Life with Low Vision. We'll spend about a half an hour learning about low vision services and ways that you can make the most of your remaining vision. If today is your first time on a Bright Focus Chat, welcome. Let me take a moment to tell you about Bright Focus and what we will do today. Bright Focus Foundation funds some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists that are trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease. We share the latest news and developments from these scientists with families who are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, www.brightfocus.org that offer tips for living with diseases such as macular degeneration. Today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing this information. We're really fortunate to be joined today by someone you may have heard from previously on a chat, Dr. Ranji Prasad, who is a staff optometrist at the Philadelphia VA Medical Center and a board member for an organization called Vision Link, also located in Philadelphia. Dr. Prasad, welcome back and thanks for joining us again. I know you've been in the field for a few now, uh, but before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit about your background in the field and your areas of expertise? Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me, Diana. It's, uh, I always look forward to these chats. Um, so I'm an optometrist. I specialize in a field called low vision re rehabilitation. Um, I've been practicing uh, for well over 23 years. I was formerly the director of the um, low vision center at the Shea Institute for 21 years. And um, Currently, I am working at the Philadelphia VA Hospital, and I'm a board and committee member of a organization in Philadelphia called Vision Link, um, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit later, but it is an organization that provides um, resources and services for the blind and visually impaired um, in, uh, Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia area. Great. We're looking forward to hearing more about that. Um, so let's start. Uh, for people who have had good vision most of their life, it must be hard to come to grips with the fact that now they have low vision and are facing difficulties doing the things that they're accustomed to doing without thinking twice. So to start, what exactly does low vision mean? So um, there are actually many ways to define low vision, but I like to say that low vision occurs when an individual you know, it has an eye condition that affects their vision, and um, and it can't be corrected further by medical, surgical, or optical means. So, um, you know, basically this is where, you know, someone can, um, will be told that nothing more can be done, and it's just based on that, medical, surgical, or, or conventional optical means. And what happens is this really, um, results in difficulties with performing daily uh, tasks. So what I like to, how I like to um, summarize it is by saying that it's just basically in, um, a reduction in visual function that um, that's typically caused by an eye disease that can't be corrected further. Okay, that makes sense. So it's not just your visual acuity or something like that. It's something that you've done everything you can and um, and then you have to make accommodations otherwise. Um, Correct. Um, Correct. No Another question that people ask frequently is, what is the difference between having low vision and being determined legally blind? And how does someone find out if they've received? Yeah, so, um, so basically the difference is that low vision, um, per, you know, pertains uh, for, to function. Um, 
you know, and that there's a reduction in visual function as a result of their uncorrectable eye condition. And the term legal blindness um, was actually determined by the government. It's a level of either visual acuity or, uh, a, you know, extent of visual field. So a reduction in your visual field, your, your side vision um, that a person has in order to qualify for certain benefits pertaining to disability. Um, and, you know, um, so someone who is legally, legally blind has low vision, but someone um, who has low vision may not necessarily be legally blind. Okay, great. Thank you for clarifying that. I actually get asked that question quite frequently. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who wants to make the most of their remaining vision? In other words, when one is motivated to reach out for help, what are some good first steps for finding the right support? So um, for, I always tell people to, or individuals to, basically um, pay attention to what they're doing on a daily basis. And, you know, if you're having um, problems, you know, um, you know, reading, uh, seeing the food on your plate, anything that pertains to daily tasks, just let your doctor know, let somebody know. And typically your eye doctor would be able to refer you to either a low vision provider or to uh, resources that could help you further. That's so great. most importantly, oh, I'm, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, just let, you know, let your eye doctor know. Perfect. Um, and you mentioned other, other providers, um, and that leads us to our next question, which is um, there's essentially an alphabet soup of titles and initials for the various types of providers specializing in this, in this area that oftentimes people aren't familiar with um, the acronyms. What is a low vision specialist? to start, and if your eye doctor doesn't for you, how do you find one? Okay, so um, there are many individuals who work in the field of low vision, and so a specialist can refer to um, many, different, many different people. So, um, however, a low vision specialist is typically an eye doctor who is uh, most of the time an optometrist that is specialty trained. You know, he or she examines um, and evaluates and prescribes specialized glasses or devices to help individuals with their goals. Um, you know, you can find one of them um, first by contacting your eye doctor, uh, for sure, but then um, also refer, uh, reaching out to, like, a division of senior services. You can reach out to, um, you know, the state, or, uh, state agencies or local agencies as well. Okay. And are these initial visits typically covered by Medicare or other insurance? Yes, low vision evaluations are um, reimbursable by private insurers, um, at, you know, and Medicare, as are occupational therapists um, who help um, train individuals with their daily tasks who have low vision. Um, yes, they are um, reimbursable. Awesome. That's great news. Um, okay, so can we kind of walk through some of the other specialists in the field that might assist in working around the loss of central vision due to AMD? Um, and I guess as we kind of walk through that, how does one evaluate which provider would be the best match for their specific needs? Uh, I'll walk through the list of acronyms, and if you could kind of briefly explain the role uh, that each specialty would have in improving life with vision loss. Um, okay. So we'll go ahead and start with a low vision therapist. Yeah, so um, a low vision therapist are um, individuals who are specially, uh, who are trained and have the education where they're able to perform functional assessments with those who have, um, you know, an eye disease and kind of relate that to, or um, they do an assessment and then they um, can apply that to their 
functional difficulties um, with doing particular uh, particular tasks. So, example, um, you know, these individuals are in um, you know in schools or the government um, in government institutions. They can be um, you know in vocation. You know, they could uh, be a or be part of like a vocational program. Um, so they, you know, so for example, if a person has um, a visual impairment and they have difficulty seeing a computer, they could be out there in that environment and see ways to help them. They use adaptive techniques and they also train um, individuals using low vision devices such as magnifiers and telescopes. Okay, and if someone is Googling, um, you know, different providers, perhaps their insurance covers, the acronym after a low vision therapist would be LVT, correct? Correct, yes, yes, correct, yes, LVT, yeah. Okay, the next one um, on the list is a certified vision re rehabilitation therapist or a CVRT. Uh, what is their mm -hmm. role? So the, um, their role is similar to a low vision therapist. However, they work pre uh, predominantly with um, utilizing compensatory techniques, environmental adaptations, modifications. They use um, adaptive equipment. Um, these individuals also um, can teach Braille. And um, they're also ones that specialize in working with people who are blind, you know, predominantly blind uh, or who have profound vision loss. And these individuals require um, utilizing other senses such as um, touch or hearing. Okay, great. Um, the next one, I'll go ahead and say um, now that we'll be having uh, this particular list on our chat next month. Um, but if you could walk us through what an occupational therapist or an OT um, does and what their role is in um, helping people with low vision. Okay. So um, an occupational therapist um, or OTs are healthcare professionals that focus on um, basically enabling people to do the things they want to do or need to do in their everyday lives. And um, these are individuals, many of them, who have specialized training in low vision. So they're able to help a person, um, let's say, if they have difficulty um, in the kitchen, um, you know, they have difficulty cooking, you know, using the microwave, um, they use compensatory techniques, adaptive aids. They're also licensed professionals, so they are, um, they will be covered by insurance, Medicare and private insurers. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yes, those are some of the past mentioned, the ones we frequently hear um, frustrations with. Um, and I think you mentioned that often the low vision uh, specialist is a low vision optometrist. Is there anything else that we should go over about a low vision optometrist? Oh, yes. Um, they have a very important role. Um, you know, they are usually the first line of a referral from a from their me medical eye doctor or um, their eye doctor that takes care of their, their disease. So if they have, if they tell their doctor that they're having difficulty um, seeing, you know, seeing faces, reading, uh, the first person I'll refer them to is probably a low vision optometrist. And a low vision optometrist, um, you know, performs a detailed functional history, medical and ocular history, and, um, you know, their goal is to help an individual achieve their goals and do the things that they'd like to do, again, better. Um, and they also perform, they perform a comprehensive evaluation, prescribe classes, devices, magnifiers, and in addition, they um, provide referrals to services and resources as well. Is this a provider that one would go back to over time as their vision um, deteriorates? Yes, they can, yes, absolutely, because 
um, at different steps of their vision, they would have different needs and different, um, you know, there'd be different aids for them. Should their uh, vision progress? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thank you. And you mentioned that the optometrist is covered by insurance. Um, is it kind of on a case-by-case -case basis for the other specialties, or are there others that um, are sort of more broadly covered by insurance? Yeah, so the other um, therapists, like the CRVT and the LVP, typically aren't covered by insurances because um, it has to do with licensing. They're certified, um, but the licensing are, you know, the occupational therapists are licensed, and they have their own medical provider number, et cetera. So those are covered by insurances. Okay, great. And that's always a question, too. Okay, so moving on from the, uh, the alphabet soup, uh, I know one of the biggest disappointments that people tend to experience is difficulty in doing the hobbies they love that require close vision. I'm thinking of people like artists and photographers who depend on their eyes. Are there adaptations or new technologies that might help them get better results? Um, and we did actually get an example of this from Carol in New York who wrote and said, I play mahjong and I have trouble seeing the tiles. Is there any help? Uh, what would you advise to people who depend on their eyes or need that close vision to do the things that they love? Um, well, first and foremost, tell you, let your doctor know. They'll, they would probably refer you to a low vision, to an optometrist, a low vision specialist. Um, it all depends on the level of vision, your uh, visual acuity, your peripheral vision, um, and also what you would want to do. So, um, so for example, you know, you were talking about a photographer, and I've had many photographers over the years. Uh, and, um, you know, photographers who've adapted, who started off as, as film and then now have gone digital. So one example with that, uh, with that is that you could have a, your camera kind of um, synced with a laptop. So when you shoot a picture, even though you may not see it on the screen or through the IP, you could enlarge it to see it on the screen so you have a better idea of what you're seeing. Um, to answer Carol's question, um, you know, for her, again, it depends on what she, you know, um, how her level of acuity and um, seeing how far away the, the tiles are. Um, there are different devices that can definitely help with that. Um, you know, there's different, like, reading telescopes. There's, you know, you use uh, different um even technology, too, the, the different types of technology, you know, you can use a camera that's attached to a laptop, so to speak, to enlarge it. So there's, there's different ways. It would all have, it'll all depend on what level of acuity they may have. Okay. Um, really quickly, going back, if you don't mind, as we were talking, mm -hmm. um, one of our listeners, Sheila, asked, hey, what is to look for in a low vision therapist? Their additional letters behind their name, um, you know, other than being covered by their insurance, is there anything in particular they need to look for as they look for a low vision therapist? Um, basically, a, a, basically a certification. However, if you get connected to state agencies, um, they are they usually employ and have um, the certified certified therapists working for them. Um, they would also know of uh, private therapists as well. Okay, wonderful. I just wanted to make sure to get that in. Um, yeah. <clears throat> thanks for being flexible. Okay, back to um, our next question, which is um, another big area of discussion and desire for information is lighting. Uh, and there are actually a few questions. So I'll go ahead and ask. Um, Kathy, 
from Tennessee is wondering what is the best illumination type bulb for lamps to work um, to work in for softening a harsh glare. We usually recommend uh, light bulbs which have a warmer color temperature. So, if you remember the um, incandescent lights, they're more of a yellow. They're more of like a yellowish. Well, not bright yellowish, but like a um, warm, like a reddish uh, tone. That right. tends to help. Nowadays, the bulbs are available in color temperatures, so that would be a um, about like a 2700 um, Kelvin. So that's again a warmer color temperature. And using a task lamp that has a hood on it. So something that's directed onto the paper um, versus having something that diffuse, like a lamp with a shade. So you'd want a lamp that has a hood on it. Okay, that's great to hear. Um, and Janice from Texas is wondering how to protect her eyes from the UVB rays that are prevalent in LED lights that she often needs in order to get enough light to read, to see, to eat, um, et cetera. Do you have any advice I mean, about whether it's damage that happens? Well, I would, I mean, you can get um, UV coating on um, glasses, I think. So that, yeah. that should probably help. Yeah. But typically, I mean, the amount of light, I mean, a lot of amount of UVB light is probably not that much. So, but typically, you know, you can get one with coatings on it that would help. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the final about lighting is um, about navigating in bright light. So I'm assuming navigating um, either the car itself or looking at your phone and having that glare that bright light that makes it difficult to to see that. <laughs> so um, with glare on your phone, that's, that's a little different than the glare outdoors. Um, I would recommend, obviously, you know, turning down the brightness, and you can also change the um, the color temperature on many phones. So you can either probably warm it down a little bit so it's not as glary. Outdoors, we obviously recommend, um, you know, tints, sunglasses, um, and then typically polarized sunglasses can help as well. Okay. And actually, topic of, of glasses, we receive a lot of questions from people who are looking for special glasses or magnifiers. Um, and I know that in our, in our most recent AMD Community Circle group, um, which I'll mention later, we talked a lot about TV glasses, which was a brand new concept for many of us. Um, so in that same vein, uh, Daniel from Illinois wrote in, I'd like to be able to orienteer but cannot read maps on the fly as necessary. Uh, and he needs portable magnification or illumination. Um, can you discuss the topic of magnification and illumination devices? And aside from orienteering, I know many people who want to be able to see the menu at a restaurant, uh, look at the labels, you know, be able to read the labels, uh, for example, on the cans in the grocery store. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the best device to use for um, seeing the cans on the label or for even, you know, um, handheld maps for maps. Um, I would say it's just a handheld illuminated magnifier, um, you know, that's probably battery, you know, that you can use with batteries. Um, they come in many different magnifications, so that all depends on, on your level of vision loss. Uh, you can also use your phone, your smartphone as a magnifier, too. You can use the camera setting. Um, and then you can make that bigger or smaller. You can also use the, um, you know, there's like on the iPhone, there's a 
magnifier that you can um, you turn on in your setting that turns your phone into like a portable electronic magnifier. So I would say just something as simple as a um, handheld magnifier could help. Wow, I didn't know that about the iPhone. That's, there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, sort of related to the topic of, of that, uh, especially during the pandemic, I know um, many people who weren't previously using, um, you know, methods like Zoom to stay in touch. Um, we've gotten more accustomed, I think, to using our computers and other devices, um, not just for Zoom, but for reading, FaceTiming, communicating with our families. Um, are there other special features on iPads, um, iPhones, or Android devices that enable us to better use that existing technology to address low vision? Um, so on your, so on the iPad and the iPhone, you can use the, um, if you use Zoom through the internet, I think you can make it larger. Um, you know, I think there's a, a separate for the Zoom app. Um, you can also do like a, a voice, you know, on the on your phone and your iPad, you can do like a voice over command as well. Um, you know, you can increase the font sizes on, um, you know, on the on your phone too, or on the computer to make um, things bigger. You can also use like there's a control click um, when you're on the internet that actually enlarges the in, the browser for you. Uh, but what I always recommend is, um, you know, trying to get connected with um, an assistive technology specialist. They're the experts at that. Or in some of the, you know, the vision, um, uh, the low vision therapists and even occupational therapists are very well versed. So when I see my patient, I can kind of give, in, give them some tips, but then I usually refer them out um, to the specialist for uh, better training and detailed training. Okay. Um, this next question is um, perhaps you've already answered, but I'll go ahead and ask it just in case there are other um, tips. Which is Joyce from North Carolina asking, um, what are the best computer settings um, for easier readability? I'm thinking, for example, contrast. Yes, you can um, change the contrast. Um, there's settings in the computer to do that. Um, then you can enlarge the browsers as well, as I said. You can use the control click on the um, on a uh, PC, and then um, the Mac, um, the app, you know, the Mac computers. I mean, they have a lot of great accessibility settings where you can make things bigger. Um, there's also screen enlarging software that you could uh, you could get too, but again, you know, getting connected with an assistive technology specialist would be um, ideal to really help you. Um, there's also settings where you can speak, where it can talk to you as well. Right, right. We had somebody on our most recent call saying that on the iPhone you can actually say "speak screen" and then it will read it yeah, to you. Yeah, um, that's exactly. Something new. That's something new as well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a talkback setting too. So as I said, there's so much, um, so much with uh, technology and the phones. And that Diana, that could be actually in a whole separate chat too. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, this is somewhat related um, to the phone, but also just um, you know making accommodations and, and changing kind of the way you do things. Um, and that's the stress um, and frustration for people impacted um, when, when they no longer can drive. Um, so if they made the decision to give up driving and um, depend on other sources of transportation for things like going to church or shopping for groceries, you know, or even to visit their children and grandchildren, um, what would be your advice? And do you have any tips 
for um, you know riding in cabs or rideshare services or or other suggestions. Um, I know I've spoken to many people with AMD who struggle to, um, you know, if they're calling an Uber or a Lyft, seeing the driver's picture or the license plate number on the app, and they feel somewhat unsafe. Uh, do you have any tips for this kind of situation? Well, one um, with the ride share, what I find, and I do this too, is you can always, you know, share your ride with somebody else so someone always knows where you're going. Um, and the same thing with, cat, you know, uh, with the cats. So it's always being connected to a family member whenever you're, um, you know, using um, the ride chairs or the cats. Um, you know, also just to let them know, too, that you have a visual impairment. You know, um, I think that would be, that, that could help as well so they, they understand. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That actually leads, uh, leads right into my next question, um, which is a note that we got from Lynn in Arizona. Um, and she said, I have trouble trying to explain to people that I'm unable to see most things without sounding like I'm looking for sympathy. And she's asking for suggestions. Um, and I've heard similar, um, you know, I've had conversations with others who just feel terribly that they aren't able to recognize their neighbor's faces um, and they're not sure who might be saying hello in the morning, um, you know, maybe when they go out to get their newspaper or their mail. Um, and others who are socializing less because they can't see the other guests faces at parties or dinners and it's a little bit awkward. Um, so for you, as someone who's witnessed the daily impact of vision loss on a person's life, are there tips that you suggest for handling situations like this, um, you know, or strategies that you've, um, that, that you've either offered or heard from, from other folks in this situation? Yes. I mean, that is something I hear very commonly from people and, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, it, Individuals who ha are experiencing vision loss um, obviously have, you know, they're going through a grieving process too. So, you know, they have their own, um, you know, their own issues with that. And then on top of that, they have to, they have the, the anxiety that they feel when it comes to explaining their condition to other people. And um, so, and that creates a lot of anxiety too. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a trained psychologist or um, a therapist, but, you know, when it comes to dealing with the anxiety, I always, you know, um, inform people just to get the help that they need to, to help them cope with it. But I also try to reassure them that, um, you know, just state the facts, you know, just state the facts. You don't need to, um, you know, they, you don't need to explain to them, um, you know, the, what they're you know, like I don't want to say in detail, but um, just just state the fact what they're experiencing, how they're seeing. A lot of these patients um, won't know, won't understand what, what they're going through. So until they they're educated, um, they're not going to know. Um, so and and um, you know, and I had a patient once who actually had a um, pin that says I have low vision, and so that created oh. a conversation and a lesson. Um, for the other individual to help them understand what they're going through. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought of mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. Having a buddy or you would help if that's, you know, inappropriate, mm -hmm. you know, depending yeah. on where you're going or what you're doing, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, you can really see how people start to feel isolated, um, you know, especially if you're not socializing as much because, you know, because you have an anxiety. Um, can you provide some recommendations um, for preventing this feeling of isolation? 
Um, and I think this is a wonderful time. Uh, I'd love to hear more about your member board membership board division link. Um, so part of this answer, if you could tell us about some of the services available, um, particularly the ones that people who are interested can access virtually, uh, but how this type of service, whether it's with Vision Link or somebody else, um, can you know help people to feel more connected and less isolated. Um, so what I tell people, you know, um, is to connect with others as much as they can. So there is um, a lot of evidence out there that shows that, uh, you know, visual impairment and vision loss does increase your risk for depression and anxiety. You know, it is, you are going through a grieving process. And what helps in a situation like this is staying connected, being social, um, you know, try not to be as isolated. So, you know, um, you can join activities. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I always um, promote opponents of, you know, uh, being social within religious organizations if that's um, something that's meaningful for you. Um, also support groups. There's a lot of uh, low vision support groups that are in the, within the communities too. Um, you know, obviously uh, continue to grow as a person. You can take on new things, try learning new things. Um, and, uh, you know, basically interacting with, as I said earlier, interacting with other people who have low vision. You learn from them, uh, you learn from their experiences, and most important thing is to know that you're not alone, too. Also trying to stay physically active, if that's not at all, you know, if you can. People with low vision have a lot of anxiety um, traveling and being mobile because of, you know, they're afraid of, because of the fear of falling as well. But, um, you know, walking, going, uh, you know, going places with people is, I think, very helpful. Um, that's good. So, um, um, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Diana. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, learning, um, learning is, is a big part of that, too. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear about some of these um, virtual classes that um, VisionLink offers, um, you know, the organization that you're on the board um, for. Oh yeah, so um, so yeah. Uh, let me just share a little bit about VisionLink. VisionLink is an organization um, that's basically dedicated to assisting individuals with vision loss um, or low vision to gain access to resources uh, that they need in the community. And um, you know, they they partner with refer, you know, they refer and partner with organizations um, as well. And they also provide direct uh, training and education too. And um, you know, although it is uh, Philadelphia-based, they have an incredible staff that can help um, connect or link individuals from all over the country to, uh, to resources as well. Um, so they offer a number of classes. Some of the classes that they offer are um, orientation and mobility. That's, you know, it's been virtual because of COVID, but there's going to be starting um, in person as well, assistive technology, which is virtual, and that includes iPhone, iPad, and app workshops, which is their most popular uh, workshops as well. And, um, yeah, and this is, right, you know, this remote right now, but there's going to be an in-person um, and on-site. And finally, um, there's also virtual home management classes, too. So they provide tips and techniques to live a better at home with low vision. And that's offered exclusively um, remotely now. And this is the, um, these classes are done by certified uh, by trained certified therapists. So that's outstanding, and it's it's nice that they'll um, both provide the resources for um, for folks in other areas outside Philadelphia, but also the virtual. I think COVID caused you know a lot of us um, and and nonprofit organizations and and others to become more mm -hmm. nimble and adapt. To, you know, distance learning. So that's wonderful. Um, yeah. I also wanted yeah. to 
um, that Bright Focus has um, a monthly group that we run here called AMD Community Circle. Um, and it's essentially just uh, a Zoom call uh, for people that have macular degeneration to connect with one another and share tips and experiences. Um, so we're starting to run short on time a little bit here. Um, and I wanted to conclude on a philosophical note by asking what attitudes or personal qualities you found to be most helpful in people who are dealing with these low vision challenges? And is there a common misperception that you frequently try to address or any other big picture advice that you'd like to offer um, to the folks that have joined us today? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so basically, I try. I know it's a lot. That's that's a that's a huge question. Um, and just to so what I yeah. So basically, what I like, you know, what I share with patients is that um, you know, basically, I, I try to you know, I obviously try to va validate their uh, feelings and experiences. And um, the most important thing to know is that what they're going through is is huge. I mean, it's it's a grieving process. You're going to go through all the stages. And, um, you know, and, you know, that through the different stages, you're going to, your attitude is going to be very different. So towards what the services that are offered. Um, but the most important thing is to be very open and to be very patient and compassionate with yourself. And just to know that this is a journey, um, know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of help that's available out there. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, um, getting the right, getting the help that you need to help you achieve your goal. And also, um, you know, just to know that although you, we cannot bring the uh, vision back, we're still able to, you're still able to be helped in order to do the things that you um, want to do and to live a more um, healthy, independent, and productive life. And finally, um, you know, I just want to want them to know that they're not alone and also to never give up hope. That's so important and sometimes difficult to do. Um, so hopefully some yeah. of the tips we've shared and, and resources um, will be of benefit and, you know, kind of bolster people up in that particular area. A couple of final notes before we conclude. Next month on July 27th, we will have a fantastic discussion with Allison Bridges-German, uh, who will present occupational therapy for low vision, what you need to know. I'm forward to having you join us on that chat. Uh, so to close out, Dr. Prasad, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion today. I'm confident uh, that everyone has learned something and that we've outlined some clear steps uh, for our listeners to make better um, or better manage their vision, I should say. So before we conclude, do you have any final remarks you'd like to share? Um, no, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity and, um, you know, I hope this will help individuals and um you know and yeah just um thank you thank you for the opportunity <laughs> we're so happy to welcome you back it's always really informative yeah um, and we no, appreciate i love i love these chats <laughs> thank you so much and on that note this concludes today's bright focus chat thank you everybody thank you the information provided in this recording is a public service of bright focus foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.